After discovering an ancient mummified imp emperor in China, it's not long before he is awakened and determined to raise his undead army. It's now up to Rick O'Connell and his family to put a stop to this new mummy menace. Hello, everyone. I'm Caleb J. I'm Connor Azagari. And welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bad. Today, we'll be talking about the third and final installment in the original Mummy trilogy, uh, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Coming hot off the success of the previous two installments, expectations were high. <laughs> Unfortunately, the film would become the lowest grossing in the trilogy and get destroyed by critics. On that note, Connor. Oh, I remember going to see this. So excited. The Mummy and The Mummy Returns are two of my favorite movies. So yeah, expectations were indeed high. But you change directors to a total creep and you just don't give a fuck. This is what happens. 13% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes with a 30% audience score. Pretty reviled. Consensus reads, with middling CG effects and a distinct lack of fun, the mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor finds the series past its prime. Yeah, I think that's pretty on the money. <laughs> yeah, I, I made a I made a comment actually to Josh because Josh actually sat through this one with me. I'm like, you know, let's just be honest. Like, yes, yeah, some effects have held up in this trilogy, but for the most part, there's a good chunk of special effects in all three films that just haven't held up. Outside of the whole rock thing in returns, but the thing is, like, the first two are fun enough that even the moments that may not hold up, you can forgive because the film is just fun. That it's like you can get past it when the film's not fun, <laughs> it makes those issues just just fucking stick out even more because you're not having a good time and you have to watch not great special effects, and you're just like, oh god, just let it in. Yeah, Colton and I talked about that when we did The Mummy Returns. We, our, My question was about, you know, when you're watching a movie that has some questionable CG effects, like, do you care more about how the film looks or how the film feels? And we talked about how, you know, if a movie's good, if it has great characters, great story, this the effects don't matter. Because you can, you can move past that. But if you already are pissed off, that's just going to, you know, terrible CG effects are just going to be another thing that you're nitpicking about because you're already in a bad mood from this terrible movie. And that's what happened with this one. <laughs> yeah. Like, for as much, like, and I know Vernon Fraser talked, uh, touched on the subject in his cheat cue thing he did recently. Um, but, you know, obviously, like, everyone's talked about, you know, how the CGI Scorpion King and the Mummy Returns, it looks god-awful. But because it's such like you have such a fun time with that film and stuff, it's almost created its own drama with the film. Like you're having a fun time, and then this is just something else to be like, all right, here, here we go, movie. Let's watch Brandon Fraser battle this horrendously CGI'd monstrosity. When also, you know, for an eight day turnaround, it's it I, I feel like it's not that bad <laughs> for for eight days. <laughs> yeah, we when he revealed they actually like that happened because they were not given the proper amount of time to do that. I'm like, Oh, well that explains it. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what it would have looked like if they had given the, the team ample time to make what they had envisioned. 
I wonder what it would have looked like. Probably better than what they what we got. Instead, we got The Rock in like one of his very first roles, other zero lines of dialogue, and gets CGI to an actual scorpion. He gets one Arabic line early on in the movie that translates to it's hot as hell, which makes me laugh. But yeah, we love The Mummy Returns. We love The Rock to an extent. And in the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. standing. Yeah, as as we witness his mental unraveling at the hands of low box office numbers, we just want to... We're kind of just watching to see where this pans out with The Rock right now. Uh, but anyway... Tomb of the Dragon Emperor doesn't have these endearing qualities. It's it's a dumpster fire from beginning to end, and you can kind of feel it. Everybody does not want to be here. It's terrible. Yeah, I I, I yeah I I got a good laugh when you text me like I don't remember it being this bad. I'm thinking that, like, uh huh. That was during the prologue where we learned about the just unnamed Emperor of China and Jet Li being a becoming a sorcerer, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of neat, good setup here. So that's when I texted you like, is this really as bad as we remember? And then. Rick went fly fishing and we met new Evie and I'm like, oh yeah, now I remember why I hate this. <laughs> and it's coming back. <laughs> Didn't take long. No. Um, real quick, before I ask this question, did did you say uh Rob Cohan is a creep, the director? Yeah. Was there something I missed in the, like the the big um Me Too stuff when it was going strong? Did I miss something with him? Oh yeah, he got straight up accused of rape. Oh my god, okay. Yeah. I had no idea. I really, I, think, I had no idea going into this. If I remember correctly, I think it was. Uh, let me just before I name a name, let me confirm this. Uh, yeah, Asha Argento. Oh boy, okay. Mm-hmm. Accused him of sexual abuse uh, last January. Damn. Okay, I, I did not fucking catch that. Wait, last January, twenty twenty one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's why I didn't hear about. It. That's what I was still on my deployment at that time. That's probably why I didn't hear about it. There. Yeah, he's been. Um, he's got a rep for being a just a bastard in Hollywood. He also uh, the Rachel Weisz saying she didn't want to be the mom of a twenty-one-year-old. Apparently, that might have been him who said that. She might have just. I think she just said she didn't like the script. She didn't want to do it because she said it was a shit script. So he's the one who started spreading that around. Uh, okay. so he's just. A, he's just, he's a he's a prick. Okay, that explains why you don't. Uh, we don't see him direct stuff anymore. Um, okay, I will say not not to say one's better than the other. I think it's interesting that Aja Argento is coming out. You know about that when she's been under fire for also molesting an underage person. Yeah, it's a it's a weird situation, that's, but the way I I weird. just kind of see it is everyone's kind of bad here. Yeah, I was like, that's it's a really fucked up version of like pot calling the kettle black. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, what happened to her is awful, but it's also knowing that there's a an under well at the time underage kid that accused her of molesting him. So it's like, okay, um, yeah, it's a rape crocodile, which you never want. So no. let's just agree that Rob Cohen's a bastard. Asha Argento is probably pretty sick too. And I feel for that underage kid. Yeah. All right. I, yeah, I did not, did not, was not aware of that. But again, January 2021, I was, I didn't come back till March of 21. So yeah, I was on deployment at that time. That's, that's why that flew by, by me. Okay. Well, at least now I know I've learned something today. Um, On that fucking note, let's get slightly not so fucked up and get into my question. So 
I honed in on the fact that this is another case of a trilogy closer being incredibly disappointing. A fucking recurring trend in Hollywood. So, my issue, my question, mostly my issue, my issue as well, my question to you is why do you think Hollywood has such issues landing the ending, two trilogies especially, time and time again? I think a lot of it is too many cooks in the kitchen and high studio expectations. I think that here's, here's an example, Spider-Man three. That's one of the ones in my head. I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Spider-Man one and two. Awesome. Fantastic. Classic superhero films. Sam Raimi, mostly in control on those two films. The third one, his idea was, you know, Sandman and the new goblin. Cool. You know, making good on the Harry Osborn thread, introducing Sandman. Neat. Studio steps in and says, hey, we need Venom. And he's like, I don't want Venom. They're like, well, tough. Start casting for Venom. So he had to shove Venom into this movie, and it suddenly feels disjointed and weird because Sam Raimi was not allowed to continue and you know end this thing on his terms. Because I think most of the time this happens because of studio interference, trying to make it as perfect as possible, making sure they stick the landing. And by interfering, they fuck it all up. That's that's what I think causes a lot of these. Yeah, I I because I, I was thinking about obviously the the big three that pops in my head, Spider Man three, the original X Men trilogy when it was the Last Stand, and um, Blade Trinity. Hmm. I'm sure there's countless others, but just constant cases of like they get to the third one. I think that's what you say. Like if you look at all those cases. They were there's the first film that got people going, oh shit, what's this? The second film that people liked more in Blade 2, X-Men United, and you know, Spider-Man 2. So expectations went sky high. And like I said, in the case of Spider-Man 3, the studio wants to the studio also doesn't trust its fucking director that in some cases they've used more than once. And they're like, okay, now we want what we want, but and they start stepping in and trying to add all this shit to because they want to make sure it ends well and it it fucks it up. Um, in the case of like um, X Men Last Stand, you got a whole different director coming in because Singer wanted to go and do fucking Superman Returns or whatever the fuck he wanted to do instead. I think it was Superman Returns, I believe. It was. Um, so they got Brett Ratner, who we also have learned is a fucking huge ass creep. Um, comes in and fucks up the entire Phoenix storyline for the first time in that series. Well, I wonder how much of that was him and how much of that was screenwriter Simon Kinberg, who was the guy who fucked it up both times. The second time, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I get your point. Um, I think like the, the granddaddy of fucking up the threequel is the Godfather part three. Oh, God. Uh, and that, you know, that's Coppola entirely because that, you know, no studio is going to stand it his way. So that to me was nepotism and a weak script. So it's not always studio interference. It is most of the time, especially with blockbusters. But sometimes it's just people getting in their own way. And I don't really know where I think the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor, you know, without Steven Summers, it doesn't have that, you know, that vibe that he had with the first two. I don't know what it is, but it, we all can see it. And without him, you don't get Arnold Vosloo. You don't get Rachel Weiss. So what you end up with is like a, Dollar Tree version of the Mummy series that we love. Yeah, it, it it's very apparent that they're not into 
as, as much and that there's definitely like it, it's weird even though summers really has only done four films in hollywood um as you as you mentioned um you can still tell it's him directing the first to you rob cohen you can't he has nothing to this movie and this is him i think hot off of the fast and the furious so like he had success true and, but... uh, and, and, and triple x i believe the first one I think he just made successful movies, but he's like he was like a work for hire guy. Like I don't think he didn't have style, he didn't have a substance. It was just like we need a director to point and click here. Get Rob. Yeah, we can't get Steven back. He's I guess not interested in doing. I I couldn't even when I was doing my history stuff, couldn't find out why he just didn't want to do this one, um, other than he had expressed doubt before it, um. But they were like, okay, well, we'll just get Rob and, you know, we'll get a script banged out. We'll be good to go. It's it's just annoying. And again, this is just what trilogies. We've obviously seen it on many on bigger scales with longer running franchises not stick their landing. Um, I don't, I just don't get it. It's like, it just seems like eventually you see the build up, the build up, the build up and the anticipation and then the ball just gets fucking um, just dropped. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes you get cases like I always point to Thor before Love and Thunder came out. Where most people would agree the first two were pretty good. Well, the first one's pretty good. A lot of people hate the second one. And then like the third one's considered the best one. So sometimes you get those weird outliers, but so many times I have seen just like, oh my god, that one's good. Then that one's good. And then the third one comes out and I was like, oh. <laughs> I remember watching a um you remember Rift Tracks? You ever watched that? I've seen a couple of those, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Rift Tracks was the second project from the first run of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. That that crew, they started riffing good movies, which doesn't really work that well. But uh, they did one on The Matrix Reloaded, and they made a joke that I think applies here. It was uh, like, in the age of threequels being terrible movies, The Matrix Reloaded was boldly flaunting convention and sucking in part two. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I contend that none. I contend that none of the Matrix sequels are good. I'm two has it, two and three have their moments, but they're nowhere near the first movie. And four is just a fucking disaster. Yeah, you know what has been pretty consistent so far, and I hope I'm not fucking shooting myself in the foot right now because the fourth one comes out next year. The John Wick franchise, I've yet to walk away sad. That's because it's it's been the same people the entire time getting to do their own thing in their own way, telling their own story, with their own people. And that continues into part four. So I think we got nothing to worry about. Yeah. We'll be <laughs> fine. So that one luckily has. Yeah. it. Yeah. And again, that's just like, you know, obviously trilogy. And even on a smaller scale, like ours, like the Underworld series, like before they pumped out like the fourth and fifth film you had like the first two that built off each other and then like they ran to a fucking corner i guess already and the third one's like let's go do a prequel route well why part two kills everybody (laughs) like all of the major characters apart from selena and the guy were dead (laughs) so like where do you go from there yeah it was like oh okay well I guess we can't do a third one, so we'll just do a prequel. But then they turn around and do a full-on sequel with the fourth movie. Yeah, with like a digitally altered Scott Speedman lookalike, which always made me laugh. Yeah, because for a reason, he's like, I'm too good for this series. I'm like, what are you doing, Scott Speedman? 
What are you doing? Too good for what? <laughs> what are you too good for, Scott Speedman? Oh my God. Yeah, I'm like, dude, come on. Um. So yeah, it that that's just something I noticed. Figured we we talk about that real quick. Just the funness that is Hollywood fucking trilogies. It, you never know what's going to happen with this. Like sometimes you get a, a Back to the Future. Sometimes you don't. Yeah, most times you don't. Back to the Future and like Evil Dead are rarities when it comes to trilogies. Like there are very few complete trilogies that last. You know, Indiana Jones was one before they decided to go to space. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings was great. And then we had The Hobbit. You know, Toy Story was great. And then they made a fourth movie that was good, but unnecessary. So there's always like, well, it was a success. So let's do another one. And then you fuck up the trilogy. Yeah. It's dude, uh, the Toy Story one still bugs me because I'm like, I remember watching the fourth one going, like, this isn't bad, but god damn it, unnecessary. Like, you had a perfect ending. Why did you do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's why I'm glad they have never bothered with Back to the Future 4. I don't need it. If I get Back to the Future 4, like in the next two or three years, it's just going to fucking depress me because they're going to look old and sick, and I don't want to see that. I don't want to see the DeLorean turn into a fucking Tesla. What I'm scared for, and I hope fucking Zemeckis has like this shit in his will, that shit stays in the hands of his estate when he passes because you know the studio's just waiting. Considering how adamant him and Bob Gale have been about, you know, studios wanting to redo Back to the Future and now they've stood in the way of that so many times, I got to imagine they're prepped for like to make sure that stands forever. Yeah. Because, yeah, that. That is one of the few, and Evil Dead has fucking lucked out in that, you know, obviously it's going to pass his trilogy with the 2013 Evil Dead, Ash versus Evil Dead, the upcoming Evil Dead Rise, but that they've been able to stay successful and good because Rob Taper, Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi have stayed on as producers, and he'll produce all these um, new new films coming out and TV show. Yeah, it's, it's good. You can, I, as long as the right people are behind it and do, making the right calls and caring about the product. We we should never be concerned. The problem is that rarely, if ever, you know, happens in Hollywood. No, and something as big as this, again, you know, as I'm sure people probably don't realize, these were big hit movies. Like these were like huge hits. The first two, so it was like it was a victim of the machine by the time three came out. And you know, we'll get into it in some sense. We'll come back and all that stuff. Very true. Yeah. All right. You ready for the uh, development hell? Oh, I'm curious. All right. So starting in November of 2001, director of the previous two films that we mentioned before and after in the prior episodes, uh, Stephen Summers mentioned there being a demand for a third film. So he was aware of it. Um, Obviously, being the one Ryan directing these movies. Uh, by May of 2004, uh, shortly after doing the release of Van Helsing, he would start to express his doubts about having the energy to make a third film, even though the cast had at that point expressed interest in returning. Mm. So the cast was like, hey, we're game, but he's like, I don't know if I have it in me to come back and do a third one. That's interesting. It's like everyone's down and he, <laughs> Summers is pulling like a, eh, I don't feel like it. Yeah, which is weird because I'm like, Again, on one hand, at this point, you're making nothing but blockbusters. Like those can be taxing on you. But you have a guaranteed hit, dude, if you go back and do a Mummy 3. 
Because Van Helsing, I can't remember. I don't think it did too hot when it came out. Van Helsing bombed so hard. They had Universal had big plans for that. They had a theme park. They had a trilogy. They had a TV show. That thing was supposed to be huge. But no. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you go back to the thing that would have definitely made him some money. Oh, well. The thing, the thing that got you a franchise and a theme park ride, they did everything Van Helsing was supposed to do. <laughs> but didn't. Yeah. Ah. Now, with that in mind, though, the following year in December of 2005, he would apparently review a script for this film. And now let's talk about that script. So apparently a much different early version than what we got. Ooh. Right. So said script was written by Alfred Gow and Miles Miller featured many callbacks to the previous film, which went unused. As you know, there are callbacks in what we see, but apparently there was more. It would feature a prologue set in Haminoptra and yep and with them making a terracotta copy of the book of the dead with the puzzle box key featured as well shit i already like this way more than the movie we got (laughs) same uh the book of course would have resurrected the emperor instead of how the fuck he comes back in this one i already forgot i watched this shit on sunday oh uh um, even to the point that Alex is uh, on uh, going to always the climax now, Alex's slingshot from the second film would return to play a vital role in defeating said emperor in the climax. So there was just callbacks galore in this thing. Okay, the slingshot was in one scene of The Mummy Returns and didn't really have any bearing on the plot at all. I feel like that's unnecessary. Yeah, I know. I know it wasn't like a huge part of the second film, but like again, it's it's still being nice enough to give us those callbacks, which honestly, what we did get in here just felt hollow. Fair enough. <laughs> like, oh, the club is called Imhotep. Woo. Um. <laughs> oh, well. And that's just some of what I got. There's more. And this part had me excited. All right. This would have really pushed the PG-13 rating. There was also a lot more body horror elements present in the original script. Neat. Yep. So they were going to, again, with the homages, we were going, and this is, okay, so there's two main things I picked up on, right? They had heard, like, little things, like, apparently we're going to see a crocodile bite someone's arm off and shit like that. Like, lots of little crazy things. But the two main things I picked up on uh, would be again homaging the first two films, having this film's version of the mummy getting his body back together, like Imhotep did. Sorry, Imhotep. Um, along with a much more graphic mummification scene where the emperor's heart uh, would start to become visible through his chest while it pumped black blood through his veins and out of his pores. Shit, man. <laughs> this yeah, is crazy. Oh yeah, and they said with like him becoming human again, much again, much like Imhotep, you would see like maggots and like you know rotting flesh. Like it was again uh, more in line with what they kind of did with the first two films, or at least the first one we got his body back. Damn, so Universal was on board with all this. So far, yes. I always, but I thought that they said horror doesn't make money. Yeah, they're kind of uh, two faced now, aren't they? A, wait, a film studio being two-faced and constantly flip-flopping on their stance? No way. That would never happen. <laughs> Bunch of snobby bastards, all of them. 
I do like how the people came out of the fucking woodworks when they said that comment. Like, the fuck did you just say, Universal? AKA the company that whose existence is only because of the horror genre. You can't throw a flare. You can't shoot a flare into a dark cave and then be pissed when things come out of it. You can't do that. <laughs> I wish they'd gone forward with this. I like this a lot. It sounds creepy. It sounds more in tune with the vibe of the first movie. It's connected to Hominoptera. For some reason, they made a Chinese version of the Book of the Dead. I don't really. Okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it sounds like first off, we have a better through line of how we got to this one. Because obviously, I get at some point you cannot keep beating down the Imhotep drum constantly. So you got to find something new. But this would have been a good through line to still have the stuff we liked from the first two. We are saying, here's the new mummy, the new quote unquote direction, or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah. Um, also, so the Emperor himself. Um, we can honestly say I don't think was like the most ruthless human being ever. Um, outside of the prologue, outside of the prologue, he was kind of a cookie cutter villain, right? Yeah, especially sure. compared to Imhotep, in my opinion. Well, I mean, they were so. both like Imhotep's motivations were more just like I just want to bang this chick, and the Dragon Emperor is more like I want to conquer all of the known world. So I, I think he's pretty. Well, either way, he was going to have an even more ruthless personality. With even more zero regard for anyone other than himself. Um, like for example, he was uh his right hand man, the guy that pledges his allegiance, he was going to curse him. So if anything he disobeys him, something bad would happen. Well, that kind of happened. I mean, he drawn and he drawn quartered his best friend when he was sleeping with his like the wife. Not that guy, no, in the modern day, in the modern day storyline. Oh. He was going to curse that guy. And be like, well, you can't follow me, but you do anything out of line and you're like, die or become part of my army or some some shit. It was like little things to just make him that much more evil were in the script. He's already part of his army. Where's What curse is that? Like, he's already on his, like, die, you know, betray me and you'll just be this, but dead? Probably. That's, mm. I think at some point he was going to like actually like punish him because he felled him. It was like ran from the felon and he was going to horrendously punish him for it. Okay. Like there was just like other, like they just had put more stuff to make him more evil, more of a threat than he kind of is. Um, also, this one's interesting because this film takes place after World War II. Um, that is, the script was originally set in the 1940s during World War II. And would have focused heavily on the tension between the Chinese and the Japanese at the time, with several plot elements factoring into that. That would have been way better. Like one of my biggest peeves about this movie is they constantly tease at Rick and Evie being spies during World War II, which we never got to see. But yeah, that would have been way better. Yeah, apparently they had someone. I think that was like Japanese helping them, and they would have had the Chinese. No, Chinese helping them. The Japanese would have like caught them, and you know. But you know what I mean? Like the tensions would have played out more and that would have been more of a being factored in several plot threads. And because of that, they would have had instead of the undead versus undead army, which I'll get more into in my fucking awards, um, you would have had actual humans versus the undead army. Dude, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like this is this is way better. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. So, and then finally, the last thing I was able to glean, because this thing was long, apparently there was a, this, I want to get my hands on this original script. 
Uh, finally, instead of the one-on-one fight at the end, again, I'll get more into that later, uh, the O'Connells would try to complete a ritual to defeat the Undead Army. So the slingshot for the Emperor in some way, kind of harkening back to Alex, you know, with this being a focus on Alex, but using a ritual to actually defeat the army itself. And it would have involved the elements that we see him possess. That's cool. What I would have done is I would have had the O'Connells resurrect Imhotep to fight the Dragon Emperor. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, but like they own, like they use some like powerful th- spell to bind him to their will. So like he has to listen to them. And like the plague, he brings the plagues of Egypt to China and takes on the Emperor. That would have been a fucking finale. Yeah. I, I like because I listened to the Oscar Sunday. I haven't listened to the film guys on so yes, but I listen Oscar Sunday. I like the ideal of what you're saying for for a fourth film, especially with Brendan Fraser being down to come back for like an old man break storyline. I like your idea of like Imhotep having to come back also, but having like a they have to form an uneasy alliance. Just something like if they could get honored Vosley to come back and have it be a full on reunion. Oh my god. I would fucking love that. And yeah, I, I like the idea of there being a threat to like all of existence, like, you know, not just Earth, but like the underworld as well, where like Imhotep has like, you know, if Rick tells him like, you know, an moon will be gone forever if you don't help me or something like that. And Imhotep's like, fine, like we'll destroy Anubis together or something like that. I don't know. I feel like that would be sweet. I'd, I'd watch that fourth movie. Oh, yeah. And if they could convince Rachel Rice to come back. I feel like now Brandon Fraser is going to be the guy who could get everybody to come back, including Steven Summers. Oh my God. Yes. I think he could do it. And because you know, he's got this boost now. Everyone like remembers fondly working with him. There's a lot of nostalgia going on here. It could work. God. Look, if we're getting a fucking Constantine too, apparently with Keanu Reeves, give me the mummy four, but with the entire original cast back and Steven Summers. Yes. Damn it, yes. <laughs> ah, well, that's all I have on the script. That's all I had. I, there was a whole lot more little details, but that's all the big stuff I was able to glean from the original script. Yeah, I hope that... I wonder if that is, like, you know, out there somewhere. I would love to read. I wonder if it was the same title, because it's a clunky-ass title. Uh, so originally, apparently, the original title was The Mummy 3 Curse of the Dragon. It's not better. <laughs> I was just the mummy's curse. I don't you know what I you know what I didn't mind what they were going to call the fourth one, the mummy rise of the Aztecs. I'm like, that's actually not a bad one. Yeah. I don't know. I just that would have been a cool movie too. Yeah. Yeah. Franchises could have been. Oh but yeah, so now that we've talked about that script and uh if you try to tell me that that doesn't sound any better than the film we ultimately got well i I don't know if we can be friends um let's move on to casting because boy howdy casting uh march of 2006 odid for you probably all hopefully remember portraying ardith bay in the first two films aka the worst best magi in history i want a job where I'm told to do one thing and then I just watch it happen and then, you know, react afterwards. That's a, that's a good gig. And no one punches you for it. They just go, Hey, okay. We got to take care of this problem now. The first one, admittedly. Okay. I'll give you what we've all let one undead creature 
escape from hell and you know that's on us but twice the second time you just watched everything you were there you could have shot somebody <laughs> you could have put a grenade in Imhotep's corpse but no you just waited you watched the ritual unfold in England our death Christ almighty it's like you want we, this we to have happen. that whole we have that whole scene where like he turns to the camera and pulls this shit down you're like oh and you're like wait a minute all that shit just went down <laughs> you've been there the whole time him and Rick just watching the ritual happen in the museum, like Imhotep's about to come out and not stopping that is to me the the most insane character moment in the entire franchise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my oh, returns. Look. Our returns. She gets by by being a shit ton of fun and a whole lot of elements I like. Like the banter between Rick and Jonathan is always fantastic. And many other little things I enjoy about that film. Yeah. If you want to hear my thoughts, check out the most recent filmgasm where me and Colton uh kind of ripped it apart, but in a in a joking way. It was it was like a it was like a roast. <laughs> we had fun. <laughs> we do we do enjoy both the first two mummies on and on filmgasm. We just don't like this one. <laughs> but good old Odin for Magi of the year, I guess. Um, well, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Plain, Why would he come to China? He's his job's to stop this creature from coming out. He not every creature, it's not all his job. <laughs> he got promoted after the first two films. Like, okay, look, you're really good at letting it happen, but then stopping it. So, we're promoting you. You're, you're going to Shanghai. Congratulations! <laughs> good job. Ah, or either way, for whatever reason. He was the one to first claim in 2006 that Summers told him a third film was in development and being written with only Brendan Fraser and racial racist characters returning at that time. That's a weird conversation to have. Like, hey, buddy of mine who was in the first two, I'm writing a third mummy. You're not involved, but you want to hear about it? (laughs) How do you have that conversation? That's so weird. Like, hey, we're working on the third one. I'm not writing you into the script. Like, all right. Cool. I guess I'll do Deuce Bigelow 3 or something. He was in Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. He's the gigolo. I forgot that. All right. By September. We're just going to move on from that. (laughs) By September of the same year, Universal Pictures offered director Joe Johnston the job. I think it said, oh, instead of, um, Jurassic War, because I was still trying to get it made at the time. Um, but he declined. He turned it down. What was what was so pressing for Joe Johnston? I don't know. He hadn't done Captain America yet. I think, you know, after Jumanji, I can see him being an interesting guy to take on a project like this. Yeah. I've I talked about it before. He's very hit and miss, you know. He, he sometimes has those ones where he hits really good, but then the ones where you're like, what happened? Wait, hold on. Did you you said that they were courting him for Jurassic World? Yeah. That's so what after he after he dropped the ball so hard with Jurassic Park three, they were gonna gut, let him do it again. Yeah. Jesus this is why we can't have nice things, Hollywood, because you keep giving the wrong I, second chances. I love how long that took for you to like come back around. Yeah. To. Oh, I just when I hear Joe Johnson, the first movie that pops in my head is Jumanji, and it took a minute to be like, wait a minute, he did Jurassic Park three. We talked about that. 
Yes. <laughs> well, either way, he declined. So he he did something else. And again, no, no, no reason I could find whatsoever. Even on the fucking behind the scenes on my uh, Blu-ray or 4K, so I got the set. And not, on why Steven Summers chose not to return. No reason whatsoever. Just no one talks about it. Were there like there were interviews with the cast talking about this movie? Like, were they positive or were they like, yeah, it was good. I had a good time. Like, what did their eyes say? That they didn't have a good time. Um, <laughs> uh, the only one who seemed excited in the interviews was Rob Cohen. And most because he's like, I get to work in China. I love China. I was like, okay. <laughs> he's really honed in on how much he likes China. I don't know why I find that so funny. Just like, it's like, come on, guys, isn't this a blast? Like, it's China. I, like, dude, you got to make a movie. It's like, oh, what? Make a movie? Oh, all right, action. Just seems so secondary to his Chinese trip. Oh, God. Well, speaking of that man, in January of 2007, Universal would announce Steven Summers would not be returning to direct. Again, keep in mind, he talking, he's talking to an actor that a film is being written and in development, and Universal goes, you're not directing. Um, and now I'm picturing them at, like, Trader Vic's or something, and, like, Steven Summers and Brendan Fraser are having a drink. He's like, so I got, I'm, I got part three written here. Like we're gonna direct, I'm gonna direct this, we're gonna have a great time. And on the other table is like some universal executives, and one of them just gets up and comes over and is like, uh, Steve, you're not gonna be directing this one. And Summer's like, What? Another guy comes up and just grabs the script. He's like, We'll take this. <laughs> and then lunch is awkward for the rest of the time. We've already called Joe Johnston. Has he said anything? Not yet. <laughs> Why don't you try this? It's the first draft of G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Oh boy, um, but yeah, they the Universal said he won't be returning, and that they announced that, and then at the same time said they were in talks with Rob Cohen to take, take over directing duties. So not only were they like he's not coming back, we also already have a guy we're talking to. You guys remember Fast and Furious? You guys like Fast and Furious? You know what's weird? The Mummy and the Mummy Returns were huge financial successes. So why this sudden lack of faith in Stephen Summers? I have no idea. Was it because of Van oh, Helsing? Never mind. I totally forgot. Yeah, it's entirely because of Van Helsing. Never mind. <laughs> that movie bombed so hard, everyone was like, get all of our projects away from him. He's ah. not the man anymore. Oh, God. You can have a hundred hey. successes in Hollywood. You fail one time, your name is dirt. Yeah, pretty much. Unless you're like Yuri Bull or M. Night Shyamalan. Somehow you just keep on going. Um, yeah, some people can turn that into a superpower. <laughs> it's weird. Um, so remember when um, Star Trek producers announced the new Star Trek movie? Was coming, but the cast hadn't been talked to yet? Oh, I like where this is going. <laughs> In February of the same year. Cohen mentioned just randomly that Jet Li and Michelle Yao would star in the film, even though there was no official confirmation until May. <laughs> oh my God. He's, I bet he just, you know what? I bet he just named the first Chinese actors he could think of. 
He's like, Chet Lee's an international superstar. I watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. God damn it. Oh. Well, I guess it lucked out. I guess, you know, things lucked out because they were both interested. Yeah, they lucked out this time. For those who are wondering about what I just mentioned, um, fam- infamously now, Paramount Pictures uh, decided to try to go all in on this Star Trek for that they've been trying to get off the ground for years. And uh, they announced Star Trek Four in development with the original cast. And it's going to start shooting, I think, in the same year. And then they dropped the bomb that we haven't talked to the original cast yet. And their response was, no, the fuck, we're not doing a fourth movie. Yeah, they tried to guilt them into it, which is such a great move. One of my favorite Letterboxd reviews that I ended up not using for my What's in the Box for The Mummy 3 was, um, don't let Michelle Yeoh's presence trick you into thinking this is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. She is so much better than this. Like, she does not need to be here. Oh, she's a lot better than this. Um, for those who have watched this year alone, everything, ever all at once, fantastic movie. She is great. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, luckily this one uh, worked out for good old Mr. Cohen because they were interested. Um, Fraser would rejoin by April, so he would come on board back to it. Uh, Wise opted not to. Now, I know that we talked about it earlier. Apparently, Rob Cohen spread false rumors on why. These are the two reasons she, from her mouth, that she gave. First, problems with the script. She wasn't a fan of the script. And also, she just gave birth to her son. Because if you guys don't know, she's married to Mr. Daniel Craig, and they have kids together. Are they together at the time? Maybe. I'm wondering, I think so. I know they've been together a while. Like, a while. But they don't talk about it because they're both amazingly private people. That's true. Uh, They got married in 2011, but they have a kid together. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, I guess they were just together. Okay. Mostly, was she with anyone before him? Uh, Didn't say it on IMDb. If so, nobody famous. So, possibly, you know. But either way, you know, she had her son. So it's like, no, whatever he was spreading, Rob Cohen, not Daniel Craig. I don't think he said anything, has ever said anything bad about her in anything. Um, so it sounds like they got a strong marriage, which is good. I'm happy to see, you know, hear that. Um, but regrettably, Rob Cohen's rumor became, you know, that's what I always thought her reasons were. I just assumed that's what it was. Nobody ever looked into it. I feel bad about that. Yeah. Now, and look, don't get me wrong. I haven't. I've heard from many sources that she's not the greatest to deal with. Um, but at the end of the day, regardless of that fact, don't be spreading rumors or false falsehoods on why someone said no to your movie. Like <laughs> maybe your movie just sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like she's not the first actor or actress to turn down a movie because they didn't like the script. Not the first one to do it. And God bless that she has a fucking kid and wants to be with her son that she just gave birth to. Yeah. Granted, I think the film could have handled a lack of Rachel Weiss better than they opted to. But, you know, yeah. that's that's up to them. Let's talk about that. Maria Bello would be cast to replace Rise's character. And this kind of made me mad. 
she apparently, and was backed up by Rob Cohen, would go on to comment how the new Evie would be different from the original. Mm, St. James Bond, lady. This is supposed to be the same character. <laughs> I don't know why her and Mr. Rob Cohen were so proud of that, as in as if after watching two films of admittedly like Brendan Fraser and Rachel Rice have amazing chemistry in the first two films. Like, and so like it is like I, I'm just as invested in their love story as I am like the rest of the film. So they kind of like slap the fans in the face and say, like, this is gonna be a different EV. No, I want the same Evie since just knowing that it's a different actress playing her. Yeah. Maybe just kill Evie off and introduce a new romantic lead. It doesn't have to be romantic, just a new female lead to for like you know to be in the movie. It doesn't have to be the same character. It would have made way more sense. Yeah, or just ha- find a convenient way to have her sit this adventure out. I mean, Jesus Christ, Fast and Furious has been finding ways to not have Paul Walker's character in the movie without actually killing him off since the seventh film. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it. It's very crazy. So it can be done. Just find a way to write her out for whatever reason in the uh, in the hopes that had this been huge and successful and a big hit and you could do a fourth one, you could have convinced her to come back. Yeah, it's it's Yeah. It's really ridiculous. Just say she was, you know, away at Bembridge doing research. Something. Working for her doctorate. I don't know. Jonathan's yeah. in prison. I don't know. Pick something. Or do a better script. And then you push before hit that issue from the very beginning. Yeah. Or try. That also is an option. <laughs> yeah. So it. But uh, again, the obvious the first issue is to talk falsehoods about why she turned down behind behind her back well i guess publicly since it was on the trades and then to then say get a new actress to who was boasting about how it's a different different take on the character than the first two okay fuck off fuck off i don't want it and based off how this movie plays out fraser don't want it the audience don't want it um so yeah yeah from there, based off the bonus features I watched before I did all this, shooting would go pretty smoothly and with lots of enthusiasm. People seemed pretty excited, mostly because they're like, hey, it's the third movie movie. We're making the third one. Yay. Um, Apparently, the only hiccup they would face during filming was near Shanghai, where they had to halt uh, filming periodically for soldiers marching due to the fact that the, the desert battlefield setting was actually a training facility for the Chinese army. That was currently being leased. Remember when you could just film in China with no problems? Yeah. Remember when releasing films in China wasn't that difficult? Remember when we used to just, you know, handle dictatorships? (laughs) Just saying, we had a pretty good track record for that shit. And we just stopped. Now we've been over backwards for that. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was the only only hiccup on on the actual filming process was they picked a, they picked the same side as the Chinese army did for some training and had to accommodate. I do love that though. They're like cut because the Chinese army has to walk through the shot. I hope that no matter which way the camera was pointing, they always had to walk through the shot. If I was ever in charge of something like that, I would make a point to ruin their shot, at least for a little bit. 
Right. Especially if I'd met Rob Cohen and he was every bit as detestable as I imagine he is, I'd be like, I'm going to ruin this guy's movie. <laughs> what are they going to do? Well, the military. Get him out of us. Watch what happens. Yeah, all we got to do is pull their visa. They're fucking out. <laughs> and they're gone. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Ah, well, all that enthusiasm, all that smoothness happened during filming would not translate to release. Um, yes, this film did make over $400 million at the box office. So I know for once, that is a lot of money. Because I know a lot of times we say it did well, and it's like it did $85 million. I know what this sounds like, $400 million, a lot of big numbers. But this is the thing. The first two made a whole hell of a lot more than $400 million. I think they were like six, seven. Like they were a lot. It was a shit ton of money. Um, so because of that, this would still be the lowest grossing in the trilogy, kind of proving that audiences weren't on board anymore. Um, as we mentioned, critics were also pretty harsh on the film as well. So it kind of was like, okay, critics and audiences were both kind of saying, like, we're done. We don't like this anymore. I miss when four hundred million dollars was a lot of money. These days, I don't get out of bed for four hundred million. The Rock is losing his mind over that much. Yeah, four hundred million. That's how much Black Adam about made, and he was expecting somewhere in the like, you know, eight hundred billion dollar range. So the fact that that he didn't get his wish is kind of driving him insane, and we're witnessing it happen because he keeps vlogging all of it. We for every like resurgence we get, like Brendan Fraser, we also have to witness the decline of a once proven profitable box office star. You know what I think happens? I think there's got to be like a balance in Hollywood. So like every time one comes back from the ashes, another is pulled down. I think that this time it was Brendan, and I think Dwayne Johnson's in the middle of his pull down here. <laughs> You think he's just going to keep bugging James Gunn? Like, he just busts into the meeting. Like, all right, so I know how we can fit Black Adam 2 into this whole equation. And Gunn's like, no. I keep expecting him to leap off a skyscraper in the Black Adam costume. (laughs) I am Black Adam. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh... Yeah, it is funny, though, how, like, you know, one can live... Another must die. It's the vibe I get in Hollywood. Yeah. One one comes back, but it, it's at a cost. <laughs> you know what? Frankly, look, I got I like The Rock. I think he's a nice guy. His movies are good. But I am willing to sacrifice Dwayne Johnson to get back Brendan Fraser. Same. Honestly. I like the guy. He seems nice, but the way he has been acting, it's like, dude. <laughs> I don't know if it has to do with like that, and then also the fact that like he walked away from the Fast and Furious franchise because the beef with Vin Diesel. Apparently, like they're not doing anything with Jumanji, which I kind of thought they were going to make another one, but it looks like they're not. So like his franchises, drying up. Didn't both Jumanjis gross like a billion worldwide? That's what I'm saying. What happened there? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, have you heard any talk about a new one? Because I haven't. No. Damn. I wonder if it's because maybe. Has Don has Dwayne like just been like has he shot down so many continuations because he's like I got to make Black Adam, right? Is that what like, happened? Uh, Is that why he's losing it because he's canceled so many franchises? 
because he put everything on Black Adam. <laughs> that might explain it. <laughs> like, I don't need all of this. It's all going to be worth it when I can fly. <laughs> and the, and the audience went, no. <laughs> really fast, too. It wasn't like a gradual decline. It was an immediate, like, eh, give me the next one. <laughs> not this one Dwayne let's try again oh, man. oh wait we didn't watch this you can try again <laughs> oh not like you can detain him and like you know put him in a mental hospital no one can no one can you know he's huge <laughs> you ever seen that I forgot who he was doing to when he wrestled but when he was like what's your name and they're about to say his name he's like I don't care what your name is that's happening to him now. He's the one standing there dumbfounded. <laughs> <laughs> the audience is him in this moment. Just, I'm picturing like a thousand people collectively going, it doesn't matter what your name is. And he's just like, ah, <laughs> I know what it feels like now. Vin Diesel's like, you candy ass. Can you smell what the rock is? He's just quoting his shit to him. This is Dwayne, this is Dwayne Johnson's constant like fever nightmare he's been having for the past like three months. <laughs> he wakes up in a cold sweat. Ah, he's like clutching a lamp that's like completely broken now because he snapped it in half in his sleep. <laughs> oh God! Ah. Uh... God, sorry, just what is going to happen with Dwayne next? It is. I didn't. If you would have told me any like big A lister celebrity would go off the deep end, he would have been the last name. I would have. He would not have been on my list. I'd be like, that guy's going to keep doing his shit till he dies. And apparently, Black Adam had other plans. It's like it's just a minor setback. People still like it. People still like me. They're gonna love it when I get to do the next one. I'm doing the next one. It's gonna happen. <laughs> Just in a mirror, like staring at himself. Right. I believe he's so pissed off. WB apparently is at him for fibbing some numbers. Dwayne Johnson's talking in the mirror. The Rock starts talking back in the mirror, and he's like, "What have you become, man? You used to be the people's champion. You <laughs> smell what you were cooking." <laughs> oh my God, we got to pitch this. This could be the next big thing. This would be his comeback. He does a movie. He does like an adaptation like movie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like Birdman or something, but like with yeah. The Rock and Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> the man who had it all in one movie caused him to lose it all. This is fantastic. <laughs> uh, what the fuck were we talking about? Mummy, Tomb Ooh. of the Dragon Emperor. Yeah, that's right. All right. So getting back on track. All right. Talking about delusional human beings, actually, this is a perfect segue. <laughs> Even though Maria Bello stated another film would, and I quote, absolutely be made because she signed on for three more films. Um, three more, damn, yeah, yeah. So she's sitting there going, Oh, they're making another one, it's happening. God, I'm actually kind of glad we went on that tangent with the rocks. This just was a great segue. Um, Universal 
doing what they've been doing best about shutting everyone involved in this movie down, starting with Steven Summers, um, they would cancel the film in 2012. I remember seeing The Mummy Rise of the Aztecs on IMDb listed as like, you know, uh, in development. And then one day it was just gone. Mm. Yeah, well, Renabella was saying it's happening and Universal went, no. You remember that scene in Spider-Man 3 when MJ gets fired from the play, but they don't tell her and she goes to like rehearsals and they're like, didn't somebody call her people? I wonder if that's... Wonder if that happened on the set of Tom Cruise's Mummy. They were ramping up production, and Maria Bello just showed up and was like, "All right, we're finally doing this." And they were like, "Didn't somebody talk to you?" It's a reboot. Sorry, you got to go. She's looking for Brendan. Who's Brendan at? Tom Cruise is like, "Who's that clown? We got work to do." Because he's such a nice person. Right. Yeah, put your mask on. God damn it! Yeah, Jesus, Tom. Recently came out that on the set of Edge of Tomorrow, he straight up just told Emily Blunt to quit being a pussy. Oh my God. You told Emily Blunt that? First off, yeah. She was uh, having a rough time with the like 85 pound of giant metal costume she had to wear. And she was struggling with that. And Tom Cruise said, don't be, you know, quit being a pussy. Get up. (laughs) He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a bad person. Yeah. One, Tom, you're a dick. Two, how dare you? That moment is beautiful and seems like an angel. How dare you? Ah, yeah, it's John Krasinski's <laughs> wife. God damn it. Oh, uh, yeah. Ah, yeah. Well, Brandon Fraser's like one of the few leads of the Mummy franchise to escape unscathed in terms of, you know, audience like disdain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Rachel Weiss has a bit of a rep. People don't like Tom Cruise anymore. Dwayne's losing his fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, but we love Brendan. Arnold Varsley just disappeared. <laughs> I don't know. I I always liked him, and I feel like he deserves more. But I don't know where the hell he went. <laughs> I think yeah. he's doing TV now in South Africa or something. I don't know. Who knows? Um. Ah, uh, what we do know is that this film. This plan rises the Aztecs, which canceled in 2012. Instead, they opted for the reboot, and it is the reboot you're thinking of. The one that will be saved for a whole different episode of its own. Yeah. One day. Very rarely are we get, do we get the opportunity to unpack not just the decline of a film, but the erasure of an entire cinematic universe that never even got to happen. That's going to yeah. be a very special episode. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's going to happen one day. Now... I don't want to end on a downer note. Instead, I want to provide you, you audience members, with a tiny bit of hope. We mentioned it earlier, but thanks to his recent resurgence, Brendan Fraser has been asked on numerous interviews, hey, would you be interested in coming back to the Mummy franchise? Would you do a Mummy 4 still? And to all of our enjoyment, he himself has said time and time again in every single interview that yes, he would absolutely be down to do a fourth mummy film. All he all that he's running on is a script to get ran. And he's even expressed how cool it'd be to do an old man Rick. So there is a bit of hope, a bit of hope out there that we could get a fourth film with Brendan Fraser back in the role because he himself, from his mouth, has expressed 
all of the interest time, time again when being asked. Yeah, it happens a lot when the third film sucks and then, you know, years go by and suddenly people are like, hey, that third film sucked. I'd love to do a proper finale for my character. It's happening to Harrison Ford right now. So I'd, I'd love to see that happen to Brendan Fraser. Get a proper Mummy 4. Maybe we recycle that Aztec thing. Maybe they listen to what I had to say and do the Imhotep team-up movie. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I for him, I think, and I, and obviously I do feel like honestly Harrison Ford kind of deserted after Kingdom of the Crystal School when it comes to Indiana Jones. I think Brendan Fraser deserves it the most, and it's all solely poor on how he disappeared from Hollywood. I'm probably I'm not going to be. I'm sure you guys talked about in um, previous. I know we've been doing the Mummy before, and it's been you know talked about before as far as like the whole his messy divorce, being in and out of the hospital because of. And that it, I couldn't find it, but in case anyone didn't know, by the time he, he did Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, he was pretty much like, as soon as they called cut, he went to get ice packs and bandaged, and his body was getting busted by this movie. Yeah. Um, so between that, a really bad divorce, and the whole issue with um, why he is not going to the Golden Globes, um, all happened once he dis, you know, that's why he disappeared, that's why he was gone for so long. So the fact that, you know, for me just because I've been rooting for him to come back and it's, it's filled with so much joy to see him come back. I absolutely think he deserves out of anyone. Get that goddamn script written and get Brandon Fraser back in a fucking mummy movie. The man is willing to do it. Give it to him. I want to see it. If he does win best actor at the Oscars for the whale, he's going to be able to parlay that gold into a complete career resurgence. And I cannot wait. Yeah. So, there's the hope. Hopefully we, you know, one day in a year or two from now, we get some confirmation of, hey, fourth mummy film and Brandon Fraser announced. I mean, for Christ's sakes, if they can do a fucking, thanks to John Wick, get a goddamn Matrix 4 out there and a Constantine 2, apparently, give me Mummy 4. Come on. Like, give me the one I really want. Harrison Ford's like literally 80 years old now, and we're getting another Indiana Jones movie. So I think that, you know, it is possible. Yes. And you know, he might be the one to convince. Like you said, people like Rachel Rice, Stephen Summers, like a lot of the original gang to come back. He might be the one to convince them. You son of a bitch. I'm in. I want it to be yeah, like a high school. I, would, thing. <laughs> I love the idea that, like, as you know, obviously, you know, Rachel Rice has a reputation, but like, she is like extremely lovely on the side of a mummy for because she's just happy to be working with Brendan. She's like, oh my God, yes. I love working with them. He makes people nicer by osmosis. He's that kind of person. <laughs> so let him do whatever he wants. He's earned it. He's earned our respect and our love, and he's never gotten anything less from me. Yes. So yeah, I'm I'm all about it. Bring on fucking bring one on with him back, and hopefully the whole game. For being honest, so. That's what I want to leave you on. I know it's it's a far it's a it's a stretch, but it's a little bit of hope compared to the fact that well, this film sucked and caused the entire franchise to stall out until we get the reboot that sucked even worse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, hope there might be an old man Rick mummy movie one day. Um, that's all I got for the development hell. A lengthy, meaty one this week. Nice. Yeah, this we needed answers for this travesty. <laughs> yes, we did. So let's move on and let's finally talk about the awards. Let's give out our awards for this. 
should be interesting. Um, first up, the Zack Snyder. I just want to point out real quick because I do have something for this one this time. Snyderverse fans, it's over. And the, the desperation and sheer patheticness on Twitter is the funniest shit ever. So keep tweeting. It's more than likely over. All right. He's just All not the worst team. <laughs> just not that. Yeah. Oh, well, keep doing it on Twitter. If it, it makes me laugh, it makes me laugh so hard. Um, or as we like to call Zach Snyder, the worst scene. What'd you come up with? This was the first thing I wrote down because I have always hated this because it's stupid. It makes no sense. And I don't like it. So, but halfway through the movie, they're going, they're trying to find the entrance to Shangri-La and uh, they have to find this big gold tower. And they're like, you got to put the diamond there. And it tells you where to get to Shangri-La. And instead of like literally waiting to the last second to light the dynamite, they could have just blown it up before the fucking bad guys got there. Um, But my scene is when the Yeti show up and they're good guys. And there's a scene where the Yeti kicks a dude through some pillars and a Yeti in the back lifts his arms like it was a fucking field goal. And it's just like, really? We're doing football jokes in 1950s China with Yeti? Is this what we're doing? This is this is what we res- we've resorted to? So I've always thought that was the dumbest shit, and I wanted to uh, single it out. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Like this whole sequence is pretty like bad. So action scenes are not good in this movie, like at all. Um, especially for the first two. And yeah, the Yeti's popping up with like zero explanation. Other than like when they, we meet Michelle uh, Yao's character again, she's like, "I was lost until they helped me." And I'm like, that doesn't fucking explain why Yetis are in this movie. <laughs> This movie literally has a fight scene between Michelle Yeoh and Jet Li, and it sucks. How do yeah. you do <laughs> How do you get two, like, you have, you know, one in one of the biggest hit, like, cross, like, country, you know, international fucking hits ever in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And then Jet fucking Lee, an international superstar who doesn't kind of need to pick better American films, if I do say so myself. <laughs> All right, I love you, Chet Lee, but like, oh man, um, you're not wrong. <laughs> that beer rolls in the Expendables. For the love of God, <laughs> cradle to the grave. Enough said. <laughs> Don't just be in an Expendables film for like a scene and then nope out of there. God damn it. Um, <laughs> still bugs me as much as I like Expendables too that he does that. I'm like, God damn it, why, why? Um, right, you get two of your biggest like international stars you can have both known for martial arts and you give us more of the weakest martial arts scenes I've watched what a Rob Cohen ugh it's embarrassing so what's Um, yours mine look I I kind of I kind of cheated this little bit and I just put the entire climax of this film as my worst scene just everything about this climax. I thought you were going to say the uh, entire movie. I'm like, can you do that? My show, my rules. I'm <laughs> keeping that in mind. Um, 
I tried to avoid that though. Um, no, just the climax. Two main things, and I have them both. The one thing I caught the one-two punch, if you will, of having first two indistinguishable undead armies fighting each other. I don't know who the fuck is who because they're both undead. They both look the same. <laughs> How am I inv- again? Original script. One of those armies was actual human beings, and I would have been able to tell. Wow. Um, so there's that, and then oh, you want to talk about that fight scene between uh Michelle Yao and um Chet Lee? Let's talk about the god awful, horribly edited one on one fight with Rick and the fucking Emperor. Well, holy shit, here's the thing you've got Jet Lee who can actually do that versus. A pretty broken Brendan Fraser. There's not a lot of ways to edit that fight where Rick comes out the victor. It, look, even then, it's like if that was the case, again, original ideal was apparently different. Go with that. Why force this? If again, yes, you have Brendan uh, Fraser who's pretty broken at this point, and then Jet Lee, who even if Fraser and I love the guy wasn't. Jelly could kick his ass. Like, he's a martial arts fucking expert. That's one of the things that got him his fucking notoriety and his, his you know, his fame. So even on a good day, could kick his ass. And look, I get it. You can't tell me, oh, it's impossible to do this. Okay, if you want an idea of how to film something like this, watch John Wick Chapter 3, where you got two of the actors from the raid fighting Kanye Reeves. Could those guys conceivably kick his his ass? Yes. And I love Kanye Reeves and the John Wick franchise. They could kick his ass, but they filmed that in such a way that made that work, and you could forget that. This film does not do any of that. Well, and also, suddenly the Emperor loses his super strength, his magical powers. Now he's just fighting Rick and taking punches to the face and like that stumbling back. No way could he make a powerful, basically a, like a Chinese demigod stumble from a fight from a punch in the face at least with Imhotep he was kind of pudgy and just a guy after the scorpion king took his powers away so yeah that fight made sense this one no yeah it and even the lead up to him he was like mono on mono no more powers so I'm like oh god he gave him like horrible dialogue to say he turns over like the fire and I'm like <laughs> also how does Jet Li know what the hell he's saying? He's he speaks ancient Chinese. And two, why is Brendan delivering it like that? Mono e mono to the death. Like he's like Zap Brannigan from Futurama. Like, what is he doing with his inflection in this movie? Look, I'm, I'm gonna say, look, I he's not on my worst performance, but I'm gonna say right now, it's to me, it's very apparent he did not want to do this or he did not know how to make these lines convincing. Because compare his delivery in the first two films to this, he is not that good in this movie. No, he's not. And I, I don't blame him. I blame a really bad script and not knowing how to deliver any of this shit. Yeah. It was weird. The two guys who wrote the final draft also wrote the first draft. And they got sole writing credit. So, guys... Come on, why? What? What? Ugh. Doesn't make sense. <sighs> it doesn't make any sense. 
but uh, yeah, that, that's what I put. I just cheated and put the whole entire climax because it is. Look, man, you build your film up to the climax. Like you build it up to this moment that I've sat for an hour and a half, two hours. Fucking, if you're Lord of the Rings, three hours. If you're the fucking Zack Snyder's Justice League, four goddamn hours. You've built it up. Like you better fucking deliver. And when you don't, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I get past this. This movie's finally over. That's not good. Yeah. And that's all I'm thinking during this part of the movie. It's like, just get past this and the movie finally ends. Yeah. Helm's deep. This is not. Uh, yeah, I just watched Return of the King. So I'm thinking like the battle with the Black Gate. That's for me. That's oh, good shit. Good movie. Yeah, I'm telling you, he turns around and he just says for Frodo. And they march in the battle. I'm like, oh my God. Yes. My favorite detail is that Mary and Pippin are the ones who immediately follow him into battle. It's like, Yes. Ah. Yeah. So that's what, remember what a good movie feels like? Good times. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, but yeah, I get it. The climax of this thing feels brushed and under thought and just kind of, you know, the emperor goes out like a chump. Like this is a guy who can, who can control the elements, can turn into a fucking dragon. Why is he taking punches from two dumb Americans? (laughs) I don't know, but yeah, fuck this climax. <laughs> um, uh, moving on to the Ed Wood, the worst line, boy, boy, howdy. Um, what'd you come up with? Oh yeah, this was this was rough, but um, I wrote down a placeholder that I intended to change once I heard something worse. But admittedly, the more I thought about the placeholder, the more it pissed me off. So I I kept it. It was right at the beginning when uh, quote unquote Evie is doing her book reading and they ask her is this really based on you and she says honestly i can say she's a completely different person and i thought i i had that written down originally how dare you we're already upset about this (laughs) like we're already mad that we're in this situation you're gonna just be cheeky about it fuck you yeah, yeah, that, that line immediately pissed me off. And look, I want to say right now, I usually don't really like it when they do that. Like, it, it, you better, like, if you're going to do it, I better like the character more. Like, when Don Cheadle did in Iron Man 2, at first I'm like, God damn it. But then, like, I like Don Cheadle way better in the role. Yeah. That the line works. It ended up working in his favor. If you want to have something like that, we are going to make that wink, wink, acknowledge that we've recasted this role. It better be one, you've recasted for a good reason. Two, we like this guy and our gal more in the role, right? In the case of like Iron Man, right? We all know, um, fucking the original actor. I'm, I'm mind blanking right now. <laughs> I love that you don't even remember his name. <laughs> Does anyone? Terrence Howard. <laughs> I know because he recently announced he's retiring, and everyone was like, "When the fuck did you do any movie since Iron Man?" <laughs> and. <laughs> Okay, Terrence. Yay. Um, but when you know Terrence Howard, we all know it, the the story is that he was asking for more money, apparently, than his fucking the main actor. Which, I mean, look, all of, uh, semantics aside of how many how much actors get paid, the main actor will always make more money. That is a given. They are the main actor, not you, Terrence. <laughs> um, 
So the fact that that's why he got taken out, okay, that's a good reason to recast him. Okay. And then, you know, again, Don Cheadle has like completely owned that role and actually won the suit. Unlike Terrence Howard, he makes a reference to doing it next time and doesn't do it next time. Um, it worked out. In this case, we know it had everything. We know the reasons are kind of shitty. It's that she had a problem with the script, which could just fix the fucking script. And she wanted to spend time with her kid. And it's almost like they punished her for that. Um, and then mm-hmm. again, the other part is she says that line. She's not a better Evie. So it's like, I'm just going, you said that line and I fucking hate you throughout this movie. I have a follow-up that was so close, so close, but it was so fucking horrible. I want to hear if you picked it. Okay. Mine, because again, I did have that line written down. Then something else came up. And the reason I wrote it down is because, look, the first two mummies, there weren't really a lot of sex puns because these are, at the end of the day, family adventures. The adult aspect was in the horror that they did kind of sprinkle throughout the first two films um, that I quite enjoyed. And as far as like anything sexual, it was literally just like the romance between uh, Rick and Evie. But there was no like not a lot of puns ever really being said a whole bunch and stuff. So when we get when we get to the club and Alex starts brewing up with his horn dog ways and goes, now, if you'll excuse me, I've got some excavating to do. August sat there and was like, when the fuck did I put on a James Bond movie? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I just, I, I gotta say, I disagree with you on the family film aspect of it. I think that they became that because they're a lot tamer than they could have been. But like, especially the first time, you got straight up like ass in the first movie. Yeah, family. <laughs> Okay, that was, period, that was period accurate attire. You cannot fault them for being period accurate. I I won't I didn't see anyone else's ass in ancient Egypt. I just saw hers. <laughs> yeah, period accurate. How dare you? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, anyway, yeah, Alex being a horn dog and Jonathan's like that is a tomb in which many pharaohs have lain. It's like, oh god. Yeah, it just kept going, and I'm like, this isn't a. And again, I'm not saying they didn't slide they made, made the occasional pun here and there, but like I've seen the first few enough that I'm like, I don't really call them ever doing like sex puns like this. Like, ho, 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 wink, wink, wink. You know what it is? Despite the first two being kind of campy and cheesy, everyone took it seriously as a film. Yeah, They were making something that they cared about. This is not that in anybody's hands. No, so it's like all of a sudden we get these sex, and again, I'm not like a prude, like I, you know, I enjoy a good sex porn as much as next guy, but again, the way these were, it felt more like I'm watching James Bond, like in an old James Bond film, I'm just like, ah, ha, 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 let's see what he meant there. <laughs> uh, so that's not the line I was thinking of, so the one that I was like, really? But it's here we go again? That was up there. That was up. That always reminds me of Tropic Thunder because these came out the same year and they did the fake action movie trailer. And Ben Stiller goes, Here we go again. Again. And then that trailer came out. I was like, Really? They're doing it for real? But no, that was up there. It's right after Rick kills the Dragon Emperor and he goes, Now you can rule in hell. Oh, that was, I was like, What? Remember when the way they wrote Rick, he had really good fucking comebacks and like 
comments and stuff to say and in this one it's like the most generic action movie shit that they could put in the script for him to spout off i still love in the first one it was my my favorite line that i picked for the oscar sunday it's when they're you know in the bar and the winston's complaining about his life and rick just goes yeah we we all got our little problems today don't we winston (laughs) after everything he's been through yeah i miss that like stuff you need summers for this world man yeah, the snappy little comebacks he could do with the like, um, and like you mentioned it when the thing yells at him and he yells back and just blasts it with a shotgun, like yeah, or like in the second film when they go meet uh his buddy, the airplane dude, and he's like, you know what, you're right, I'm going to shoot you in the ass. <laughs> it's like we don't have time for subtle. They just blast the door open and kicks it. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. You you love Rick. He's endearing uh, in the first two. He's irritating yeah. in this one. Oh my god! Or oh, my favorite, my favorite line was when in the first one they get off the boat and ben- Benji's like, um, boasting how they got the horses. And he's like, "If you haven't checked, you're on the wrong side of the river." The way he delivers that line. Ah, uh, I love that. I love when he finds Benny on the boat and he's gonna kill him. And Benny's like, "Think of my children." And he's like, "You don't have any children." It's like someday I might. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect little banter between him and Benny. It's like, oh, I'm so glad we have those two movies and we can constantly go back to those because this is just so bad. I see why this completely tanked the franchise. It's it's a disaster. Yeah, yeah I yeah, no, that line, like, God, the lines he just the lines he just spouts off. Like I said, it's just generic, like, now you can rule in hell. Like, oh, oh boy. It, what movie did you watch before you wrote that shit down? <laughs> I wonder how many times that happens. They're like, you know, the work for hire screenwriters are like, oh, I got to have a mummy movie on Universal's desk by desk by 9 a.m. I better watch some inspiration. Like, what do they put on and then steal from? <laughs> Apparently everything. <laughs> oh, God. All right. This one should be interesting because I know I said to go outside the box with my worst performance and not go for the easy hanging fruit that I'm sure is easy for everyone. So now for our Steven Seagal, the worst performance, what do you go with? Frankly, I don't have the heart to give this to Brendan Fraser. So I didn't. And Maria Bello is just, she's not, or the performance isn't bad. It's just, she's stepping into big shoes and nobody wanted her there. Okay, she was the low-hanging fruit I mentioned. Like, that's the easy one to go with. So I was curious if, like, you went for that or something different. Because I was like, let me go for something different. Because that's just too easy to go with. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I gave this to Luke Ford, who plays Alex. We we picked the same guy. He is such a piece of shit in this movie. Yeah. Like, it... Call me crazy. But in the second film, in Returns, he's one of the few kids I like in film... Mainly because his banter with his uncle with Jonathan is some of the funniest shit when they banter together. Yeah. That and him fucking with Lochna on the train, like knowing yes. they can't hurt him. I love that. The kid's got balls. Yeah, you could tell, oh, this is like Rick and Evie's kid. And yeah. that's when I'm like, the whole like he's not talking to them because I'm like, there's a whole lot of movie that apparently just fucking happened that I didn't see. Yeah, an entire. I also does it kind of bug you that he's British in part two and American in part three? Yes, and that he kind of has the same love story going on as his parents, and it even starts to get pointed out in one scene. 
but I'll save more on that later for my next award. Yeah, it's just he's I, the characters played as such a douchebag, and I thought the performance was dry and unconvincing and irritating. And when you've got a like eleven year old kid upstaging you with your as your character in the previous movie, you got to reevaluate, man. Yeah, and then again, there's more sex puns, and they him and, and Rick have to talk about the guns, and he's like. If you want power, I'm like, oh god, I'm like Jesus Christ. They, they literally say it's not this. It's not about the sides. It's about how you use it. They literally yeah. say that. I was just in the room. I was. I'm like, I think it was his kid too. I'm like, you're going to say that to your man because you know how your your pops there, bud. Because you know how you came into this board. He fucked your mom a lot until she got prego. <laughs> yeah. You can bl- you can you can blame Imhotep for a lot of that because we learned that they are pretty much danger sluts. Yeah. So guess what, bud? Your dad probably knows how to use it because you're on this board. Um, oh. uh, yeah. It's just yeah. I hated his character and then the way he treats his parents. Like, because there's no explanation. Fry doesn't like talk to them other than like that they're good parents. Like, she clearly loves him. He is. How he put him through school and everything, and he dropped out. And then they try pulling the like, you were too hard on him growing up, blah blah blah. And I'm like, was he? Because I was just watching the sequel, the whole scene where he is running against the sun to save his kid's life. Yeah. How about a little gratitude, Alex? You're like, did you go back and watch The Mummy Returns and then talk about how much your parents don't love you? <laughs> go back, watch the movie you were in that we all liked you. <laughs> oh man. Also, what was this whole like living in there in his parents' shadow thing? Like the mummy is considered a fictional story in this universe. Like there's not, you know, there's no O'Connell wing at the museum with like, you know, Imhotep and the Hominoptera artifacts and all that. Like it's not well known. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, there, he gets going, I'm, I, how he's like, one day I won't be the son of Rick O'Connor. I'll be, uh, he'll be yeah, my he father. Was, the says. says. It, this, the professor's like, you know, oh, you know, you're certainly Rick O'Connell's son. And he's like, well, hopefully after today, he'll be known as Alex O'Connell's father. Yeah. And I'm like, where did this come from? Like, yeah, Rick was a known person in the first two films, but amongst the criminal fucking organizations, yeah. like he was, was a, that he didn't always play on the side of good to get shit done. <laughs> he was a pickpocket who joined the French Foreign Legion, killed quite a lot of people. And yeah, was Kind of a you know a scoundrel till he met your mom, and then in part two, rinse and repeat. I mean, he literally was robbing banks with Izzy. Yeah, <laughs> like his well known you're talking about has a lot to do in the more criminal underworld. Not once has Rick O'Connell ever been considered a great scholar or an archaeologist. Yeah, I think you're confusing that with your mom, there, buddy. <laughs> and even she, she's a fucking author now. Like again, they they didn't really find anything like. The big, the only thing they had was that giant diamond, and Jonathan sold that for his fucking nightclub. Yeah, I was like, if anything, you should be mad at your uncle. He is. Yeah, the only thing they have to show for that whole adventure is your life, you little shit. <laughs> uh, fuck you, Alex, in the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, not you in Returns, because I quite love you in Returns. We love you, Freddie. Both Luke Ford, you can rotten hell. Yeah. Oh. I like how we both went outside the box and stood up on the same person. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it happens. Uh, all right. On that note, let's the Michael Bay. Where's filmmaking decision? What What did you come up with? 
I've well, this time I did go for the low hanging fruit. Uh, recasting Evie was a terrible decision that should have been re- rethought, and they should have just killed the character off or written her out. But recasting was a terrible idea, completely fucks with the chemistry, and makes this movie feel completely disjointed from the first two. Yeah, like like we talked about earlier, like try to tell me that him and uh, Rachel Rice don't have amazing chemistry in those first two films. Like you, to the point that when you do in the see in the sequel and they're getting all lovey dovey and trying to you know get it on in several scenes, like you're like yeah yeah you believe it. Like you feel like that this is a Mary Cooper very much in love still. Um, I don't feel that in this one mainly because Brendan Fraser looks like he doesn't want to even fucking be here and he's tired. Um, and she's trying to make this a new version of the character and it's like. And then I like a part of me feels like when they have their scene when he wakes up in Shangri La and they're like kissing, a part of me also was like, She's not the real Evie, stop it. <laughs> I felt almost betrayed. I do find it kind of funny that like Fraser is very well aware he's on his way out here with this franchise and is like, This is you know, I better get paid for this. And Maria Bello's like, I am about to embark on a grand adventure, three film contract. Here I come. Nobody, yeah, it's completely different vibes here, and it's not meshing, and it comes across in the chemistry. It, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, they should, god damn it, they should just re like not recast it, but like you said, killed her off, or like, like I said, had this, you know, and keeping your options open if this is a huge success and you fix your script issues with the next film, have find a reason to write her out. You know, it would have been an awesome story. Evie's dead due to like a mistake Rick made or something. And the movie is him trying to get the book of the dead back to bring her back and realizing along the adventure that she's at peace. That, yeah. And then that would explain a lot more with Alex being so estranged from them. He blames his dad. There you go. We just rewrote the mummy three in two, like five seconds. We've done a better job than they did. And then you could have, guess what? Had it ended with they all come together. Rick realizes Evie's at peace. He's at peace with it. Alex forgives him. And then you could either have it go on with Rick and Alex or just Alex now being the lead. You could have done a much easier transition that way. Yeah. And you keep the title The Mummy's Curse because, you know, the curse of, you know, maybe Alex resurrecting her in the second movie had consequences. Yeah. There's a whole lot they could have done. They chose not to. AK, maybe next time, knowing that this third film was going to make money anyway, take a little bit more time on the script. Yeah, I hate, you know, I don't like to, you know, I think I'm a good writer, but I don't like to ever think I'm better than anybody. But when you get situations like this where I get to think I could have written that better, I see that as a failure. I don't like that. I shouldn't be able to say that. No, and the fact that we're coming up with you cannot tell me some of this stuff wasn't thought of and they probably just went "Mm, no i have never in my work in anything serious or funny written the phrase here we go again (laughs) fucking hacks that line is bad and god did he ham that one up when he delivered it oh you see all his teeth Especially for like he has lines like that in the sequel, but again, Summers knew how to make those lines, write those in a way that actually was engaging, and he knew how to deliver those because he does make a comment about Imhotep being back, but it works a lot better in the re- in returns. Yeah, what does he say? A couple of years ago, this would have seemed really strange to me. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it, it's still getting that point of the whole "here we go again" line across, but in a way that's true to the character. 
way more engaging and it's funny. There you go. Yeah. <sighs> I miss Steven Summers. He had a certain tone to his movies that I just really liked. Yeah, I, I hate how like I, I you know, because Van Helsing flopped and G.I. Joe didn't do too hot, they're like, okay, we're done with you. It's like you just don't hand him big budget franchise stuff anymore. Give me some something smaller. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to see him get, you know, another chance too. Yeah, maybe who knows? Maybe when Fraser said he'd be willing to do a fourth mummy, he's like only a f- in the head, he's thinking, I'm gonna get Summers back though. <laughs> My crew needs a leader. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> It's Brendan. <laughs> Been too long. God, it's time to get that Rick back on the big screen. And don't, don't you don't you think we we can dream? Ah, maybe. Uh, all right, my Michael Bay, my worst film decision. Something I noticed watching this big time is why it's made it. Now go with me on this, and I want you to think as I'm saying this, and it's going to fucking click. I know you're going to have a light bulb moment. This film rehashes so many fucking plot elements of the first two films. Okay. Think about it. The whole opening with how why he wants to be a fucking mummy or how he becomes a mummy. Another love interest that gets betrayed and they have to mummify him. And blah, blah, blah. Alex and the chick he's into, they literally have a scene where he's like, I'm like this and you're the scholarly type and I like to go and shoot things. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Rick and Evie. <laughs> hmm. All right. Given the climax, technically, it's just rehashing the fucking epic fucking fight from the first film of okay, this undead army, and then you know, granted, now that yeah, if they go humans would have been a full on thing, but it's another update. This film, in so many aspects, just says okay, let's pick and choose from the first two things that people liked, and kind of spread it out throughout this one that this one does not because of it doesn't have an identity. Like it makes this one feel so out of place compared to the first two love interest here, big epic battle here, make it Chinese part three, part three, even the fact that they resurrected this mummy in a fucking museum. What'd they do with him? up in the sequel, resurrect his ass in a fucking museum. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, man. Yeah. There's a secret group looking to get this this mummy revived. Guess what is happening in two? A secret group looking to get Emota back alive. They're using a ancient relic to get to an isolated oasis-like location where they can find the secret to eternal life. Sounds a lot like I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, did. I, never, I never thought about that, but you're right. <laughs> I told you I was like, go with me on this. It. It's ama- And look, I get it. Obviously, when you're in a franchise, you're going to have elements that repeat. And before anyone comes at me, for the audience who knows how much I love horror films, I hear you on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday 13, Halloween, Nightmare on the Street, so on and so forth. I hear you, but here, so hear me. Those films know how to be entertaining doing the same thing. This one does not. I'll be your rebuttal is basically just, now, fuck you. Yes. <laughs> I like those. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those I can get a, a kick out of. And they, they do something a little bit different. Well, sometimes they'll do something a little bit different in each one to try to make it unique. So to their credit, they do try. And like if you really pay attention, they're trying to be like, okay, what can we do to make this one different? I'm not saying they always succeed, but they try. 
Um, Sometimes all you need is docking. That's it. And you know what? It completely works. <laughs> Dream Warriors. Uh-huh. Tonight will be gone. Good shit. Ah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, in this, in this one, it's like, what's crazy, and, you know, when I was doing, when I remember I came up with that, and I'm doing the research, I'm like, this explains it. Because, yes, technically, they had elements they were going to bring back, but more as, like, a through line, which makes sense for your fucking trilogy. But it feels like what happens is that because the scene got apparently re-ran to shit and boiled down to what it became, now we just have rehashes of stuff from prior films that just fell out of place and, like, they couldn't think of anything better. So they went, well, it worked in the first two, so just put it in this one. Yeah. This was, you know, for money and... That's it, really. That's the only reason this movie exists. There's no, you know, Summers didn't want to come back. Half the cast couldn't be bothered. Brendan got sucked into it. It's entirely a cash grab that didn't work. You can always tell when a movie is made just for financial reasons because there's no heart. You can always feel it. Yeah, there is no heart in this film. So I'll take a hundred horribly CGI'd Scorpion Kings before I ever watch this piece of shit again. Yes, yes. Um... Yeah, so and for those who haven't seen it well, I implore you, do yourself, give yourself some time, watch this trilogy again, and then tell me you don't know some of the rehashed plot elements of the first two in this film. Yeah. Challenge yeah. you. As Rick O'Connell once said, here we go again. Again. <laughs> oh, God. All right. On that note, let's see if we can muster up anything positive and let's give our server lining to this film. So what what did you come up with? I thought the um, the use of the terracotta army was a cool idea. I liked, you know, because I, I remember when that like hearing when that was found and, you know, it was on loan for various museums, like the actual terracotta army and incorporating that into the film as the emperor's cursed by clay army was neat. And I thought those were cool. So I'm going to give the movie props for in, in bringing that into the story and making that crucial to the plot. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I will say, and not to try to not to give this many props over him being apparently a monster. That was Rob Cohen being um, a major history buff and being very into Chinese history. So that was actually a lot of his doing still credit. That was a lot of his ideal. I, I gleaned that off the bonus features. Um, so that was his input. Okay, well, you know, Hitler had great paintings, so you know, yeah, people aren't Absolutely. all bad, I guess. I don't know what point I'm trying to make. Um, there's really no real connection to the next time I'll say, but um, because the <laughs> terracotta, right? So there, I know this is not the same thing. Okay, I'm gonna point that out right now. But there's a there's a system of a down song where they keep saying terracotta, terracotta, terracotta pie aggressively. And for some reason, every time I heard the word terracotta, that song, that line will start playing in my fucking head. Had nothing to do with this movie, nothing to do with these at all. But like just the the similarities and how it's said, and that made me sit there and go, terracotta pie. Hey, terracotta pie. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah, um, I can't. I can't say. I can't remember the damn name of the song off the top of my head. But it's just some down song that a lot of people do. I do know. I promise. Well, I. For those of you who don't know, the Terracotta Army is an actual like clay sculptured army where every single statue 
represents an actual human being who was in that army. They all look slightly different because they're all based on real people. And it was a massive find and a huge, hugely culturally significant Chinese artifact. So pretty cool. And uh, I've always wanted to see it, but uh, I don't think they're letting it leave the country anymore. No, I, I don't. I don't blame them. It would be pretty cool. And then for those who are wondering about my dumbass connection with my dumbass brain, vicinity of obscenity is the system down song off the album Hypnotize. Cool. So there you go. <laughs> That's neat. That's neat. Yeah. So okay, I'll give you credit. This one, uh, you might get a kick out of this. Um, because I had to really think because I don't like anything about this movie whatsoever. Um, and I honed in on the fact that this is the first time that I put this thing on, and only because of the podcast did I stay awake the entire time. I've used this movie puts me to sleep all the time because I hate it so much. So my my servo lighting. Oh. Is that I at least know that I have a go-to film that will consistently put me to sleep. That is wow. Okay, that's quite the reach. <laughs> uh well, I mean, you know, that's no more of a reach. And I think my silver lining for Freddie Got Fingered was that, like, it got rid of Tom Green. So sometimes you do have to have to reach for a silver lining. You do. <laughs> All right, that's why I like the silver lining because sometimes it's like, what did I actually like? What's the one thing? And then it's like, I got a thing outside the box, and that's what I did here because I was like, I was literally sitting going like, Brendan, no, he's really not that good in this one. I was like, Chet, uh, Chet Lee's underutilized like every other fucking film I've seen him put in in America. I'm like, that no, the action scenes suck. And then that's why I went, wait, I think this is the first one I've actually stayed awake. And that's when I I heard it down. That's I remember nice. I made my family watch this one day when I picked up the set. They're like, "Oh, we haven't seen the third one." I was like, "Oh, let's watch it." They stayed awake. I fell asleep. <laughs> it's it's weird. It doesn't feel like Scorpion King feels like more of a third Mummy movie than this does. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> best part is like I always fall asleep around the same part too, and it's usually not too long after they have the whole. Yeti fight scene. That's about when I go, hey, I'm done. And my eyes will shut close and I sleep. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it's it's hard to justify this one. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, yep, that that's that's it right there. Um on that note, that that closes the books on the awards for this. Unless you got anything more, we are we are ready to open up the tomb and find out what's in the box. What's in the fucking box? Well, to nobody's surprise, in that box is a bloated corpse that once resembled a motion picture. Uh, <laughs> the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor is rocking a 2.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So down towards the bottom of the scale. It's going to be hard to top Star Wars Holiday Special, but... I am. I have confidence we are going to do that next year. Oh, we will. <laughs> I'm determined. I trust you. Here are four. I have four reviews. This one's from Ryan Preston. Who needs Rachel Weiss? Who needs decent special effects? Who needs an engaging plot? Hell, who even needs a fucking mummy? This did desperately. Half a star. <laughs> yeah, 
technically speaking, there's no mummies in this. They're yeah, just really <laughs> What's funny is that like I even had to ask Josh, I was like, Chinese mummified people, right? Like, right? They did that, right? And he's like, I think so. And he had to look it up. Yeah, I know the Egyptians did. I think that some South American cultures did, but I don't think the Chinese did. Yeah, it. I was like, what? I was like, you would think Rob Cohen, being such a student of Chinese history, would have known that. And if they did, maybe just give us a fucking Chinese mummy then, instead of a statue that can move. (laughs) Oh boy, this next one's from Ray Valella. And sums up pretty much my thoughts on most of the films we cover on this show. Nobody involved gave a fuck, so why should I? One and a half stars. (laughs) It's like, yeah. Why should I care? Clearly you didn't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Why should I care if you clearly just said, nope, I'm done. Give me the check and walk away. Give me the check, uh, give me the free vacation to a different country, and let's just get this thing done. <laughs> this next one's from Greg Smith. Why would they do this to me personally? Two stars. <laughs> I like that. I like how he's personally hurt by it. <laughs> this last one is like they put a lot of thought into this. This this guy hates this movie more than anybody. This is from Call's apartment. One day in the future, three white guys are going to launch a comedy podcast called Yetis Play Football, in which they'll discuss, in which they'll watch this film once a week for a year and discuss various topics of importance. Here is a partial episode list. What did Jet Lee buy with his paycheck? Maria Bello as Rachel Weiss. Who buried General Ming under the Great Wall? The Yaks yacked. What can't this mummy do? The Yetis and the football they play. Late in the series, one of the white guys named Chris will say that the mummies in this movie just feel perfunctory. Three days later in Dayton, Ohio, the improv troupe perfunctory mummies will form. Half a star. (laughs) Damn. Oh, God. He came up with a whole thing. I like that. What can't this mummy do? He is right. I remember when, when I was watching this, I was like, he can do that now and charge like the five elements, I think. And I'm like, is that what that's supposed to be? He has control of the five elements. I don't recall him ever screwing around with wood and metal. Yeah. I mean, look, if we're being completely honest, in the in both in all these mummy films, they never really give you like the best idea of what these mummies can and can't do. But again, again, the first two are fun enough and they don't go overboard with what Imhotep is doing. That you for you can forgive it. You're like, okay, he puts his face on some element of thing he's controlling and makes it move. Okay, cool. Um, and that's really I think about it. Like he does the water and the sequel, he does the sand in the first film, and then besides that, he has his army of people do shit for him. Um Did I bring up the theory about Imhotep and and uh Evie about why he thought she was an oxen moon? Did I bring that up in Oscar Sunday? I don't recall. All right. If I well, if I didn't, I'll bring it up here. I mean, odds are people aren't listening to both shows. That'd be crazy. Um, so I read this theory that the reason why Imhotep thinks 
Evie is an ox in the moon is because he's squinting at her because he can't quite see her because he's working with terrible eyes he just took from Burns. <laughs> he sees the vague outline of a woman and he immediately is like, is that is that you? And he just rolls with it. <laughs> I mean, not the worst person to pick, but I'm just... Yeah, but that suddenly made sense because he's like, you know, looking at her like he even questions like an ox in a moon. Like he's not sure because <laughs> he can't fucking see her. <laughs> an ox in a moon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought that was hilarious. I don't know if I talked about that on any of these shows, but I read that. And I was like, I got to put that in one of these. So I'm glad if I did forget to do it, I got it in right under the wire. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah. Uh, no, it, these films don't really explain his powers like at all. Um, but yeah. difference is, I think again, I think if I recall correctly from the first two mummies, you only literally see him in the first one control the sand and put his face on it. And then the sequel, it's the water. And then besides that, it's like his undead army or people that are like mindlessly following that are doing all the dirty work. And this one, this guy just keeps doing more and more and more and more fucking powers. And you're like, when does he not have a power? He's like that kid, like when you're playing on the playground and the, you know, the kid's like, and also I'm invincible. And also I can make fire. And the kid, everyone's like, stop it. Like you're too powerful. And he's like, I'll do what I want. I have all the powers. Like th- that's what I have the power. Imhotep, like. You know, the whole, there's a whole ten plagues of Egypt that come with him, but we only see like four. Mm. Like, there's no, you know, the death of the firstborn child never comes into play. Yeah. But again, the film at least does touch on that. You know what I mean? The film they make that like, oh, if you're releasing the the plagues, like the film at least makes a point to mention that. So you're like, oh, okay. Crazy how just like you know, a, slitting the throat and leaving the body outside would accomplish the same effect, but with no ramifications on future generations. But you know, I'm not a magi, right? So yeah, all right. Well, that's all in the box. We can close this tomb and not have the fucking plague happen to us. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. This was fun. Mummy week was fun. Woo, mummy week. <laughs> well, on that note, as you guys probably get, uh, that means we're going to be getting off of mummy week into more festive stuff. But before we do all that good fun stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and do our social media stuff. So you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Filmgasm Productions. If you want to shoot us a recommendation, feel free to email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate and support us in that way, you can find us on Anchor. Finally, feel free to get on our site, filmgasm.com, for reviews, shows, articles, and all of our episodes. So, like we said, we are ending Mummy, Mummy Week and getting back to the festivities of December and at least what's left of the year 2022. So next week we'll be getting uh like I said festival again and taking a look at the abysmal second aircroat attempt to once again aircroat remake this horror classic 2019's Black Christmas. Oh boy, long time coming. I think we've been talking about this movie more than any other film without giving it a full shake on this show. I, this was this was bound to happen. <laughs> I wanted to get this out of the way. Um, if you're wondering my feelings, I do have a review of this on the website. It's not kind at all. Yeah, that was that was a pleasure to upload. I don't think you've gone that low on a film ever. I I despise this film and everything about it. 
I'm happy I was able to stumble onto a uh, voodoo code so I don't have to pay for this when we when we do it. Oh, thank God. Luckily, it's I'm far enough removed that I will be able to go over certain elements, obviously, because this will be... For those of you who haven't seen it, just get ready. There will be some political talk just because of the nature of the film. Um, I'll be able to go in with, without being so heated like I was when I first watched it. But I just, yeah, I don't like this film one bit. Black Christmas 2019. Here we go. Yep. Well, Here we go again. Again. Uh, <laughs> uh, on, on Filmgasm, we'll be looking at a more recent holiday favorite in the horror community, the naughty cut of Krampus. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Apparently, the uh, director's cut isn't quite as different as I was expecting. Apparently, just like there's a couple extended things, a little bloodier. But I'll take it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I I take it enough alone for the the Easter egg to trick or treat. That's not in the theatrical cut that they did put in the Naughty cut that I quite enjoyed. Hmm. There you go. It'll be it's an excuse yeah. to talk about Krampus again with a different take, different team. So I'm psyched. Yeah, and you know, so you have to do Black Christmas. It's nice to also do Krampus. So, and on Oscar Sunday, uh, they'll be looking into the highest grossing film of all time. Um, now that the long-awaited sequel is finally coming out, 2009's Avatar. Y'all have fun with that. Oh, <laughs> I got Udalali. I am so excited. Can't you tell? <laughs> yeah, Avatar, you know what? I get why it's on the schedule. It's a significant film in culture. It's the highest grossing film of all time. Revolutionized uh, digital effects and what we can do. And part two is finally here. So if we were ever going to do Avatar, it's now. Let's just get this over with. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just ready for the sequel to come out so we can I can stop hearing about it. Um, <laughs> I don't think that'll take long. <laughs> no, I got a feeling this is going to come and go. And then, but also be make money at the box office. I won't say success because the insane amount of money they got to make. We'll see, but it will be at the box office and it will oh. make money at said box office. There's no gay characters. You can count on that Chinese money to bring it home. <laughs> God damn it. I don't make the rules. <laughs> uh, until then, doesn't matter if it's Egypt, China, or anywhere in this ward. Don't go looking for mummies and definitely don't be accidentally resurrecting them. See y'all next week on Beyond the Bed.